Welcome to Faith Is. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and you are listening to the program that helps us grow in God's direction, that helps us understand that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And I'm so glad you've chosen to join us. We appreciate you being here. It's always nice to have these weekly conversations where we get to talk about important things, where we get to challenge each other. And today, I have a list of 10 things that I want us to talk about. Not sure I'll get to all 10, but we're going to give it a try because we live in important times. And I want to make sure that we understand that faith will guide us through this. Absolute confidence in God's trustworthiness can guide us through these challenges and help us come out on the other side in a place we'll be glad to live and be. It's not going to be easy these days. There are a lot of challenges out there. And I was thinking about this over the last week or so, and I remember many years ago, a man named Francis Schaeffer wrote a book. The title was, How Shall, How Shall We Then Live? If I remember correctly, it's been a long time. I'm pretty sure I don't have the book anymore. It was made into a video series, but the real question was, how do we live in times like these? And you know, that question hasn't gone away. If anything, it seems here recently, it's gotten more urgent. And we need to think about how do we live in times like these. Now, every now and then, people will say to me, well, is there any hope for the country? Or what's going on in our country? And I always say, yes, there's hope. As long as there is a God that rules and reigns, there is hope because he can bring about the right things at the right time. And there's no question there is hope. Now, the real part of that, though, that sometimes people miss and we forget to talk about forthrightly enough or even out loud is that that hope that there is a God that will help us depends on our commitment to living through these days in the way that honors God. People in Old Testament times, for example, they got in trouble when they didn't put God first, when they didn't honor him, when they chased other gods, when they worshiped idols. And that's when they got in trouble as a, as a people. Well, we're having some of those same things these days because people are chasing other gods. And I've been thinking about this whole idea a lot. And yes, there is concern that we would lose the country as we've known it. But I think the concern should go a little even deeper than that. We risk losing the civil society as we've known it. Yeah, that's often identified as part of the country, and yeah, probably is deeply connected. But, you know, we risk falling into not just losing our country, but living in a world that we wouldn't even recognize or ever imagine coming to pass. And I don't think that's an overstatement. I know people hear people like me say that or other people talk about the the importance of paying attention in these times, the risks that we run. Uh, I, I don't think that's an overstatement. I think we have to face some of these risks forthrightly and recognize that, well, God put us here for just these times, and so it's up to us to step up to these times in the way that we'll honor God and help preserve the gifts of liberty, religious freedom, things that he's given us. Now, the last couple of weeks, I particularly thought about that because I was privileged to attend a couple of weeks ago the Turning Point USA Faith Pastor Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. 
Now, that was a great trip. I had been, well, I would guess I'd say by Nashville. I'd never been really to Nashville. I'd driven the highways, and, and you go to Nashville, or rather the, around Nashville to get where I was going. So I'd done that several times, but I had never actually been to Nashville to visit. So we went a little bit early, and we saw some sights, and, and it was that was really quite interesting. There are a lot of things to see in Nashville. We didn't see all of them. We saw a few and enjoyed that very much. We um, saw the Parthenon. You might want to go see that. That's quite an amazing structure. And we took a tour and we saw some things from the from the tour bus. Those kinds of things. We um, maybe the highlight of the touristy kind of stuff was visiting the Country Music Hall of Fame. So now I have been fully developed in all of my cultural appreciation because I'd never been to the country music capital, Nashville, which is often thought of that way. I'd never been to that Hall of Fame, never imagined going there until this opportunity arose. And so I went and visited the Country Music Hall of Fame. Quite interesting, quite fascinating. Very interesting to take a side tour and visit the recording studio where many of the artists of years gone by recorded their their hits. It was a very well-known and, and popular recording studio, Studio B. The most famous, probably, of all the people that used it was Elvis Presley. And so we got to go visit that studio and see what that was like. But that was all kind of preliminary, and that was for fun. And my wife and I took advantage of that because we were going to be there for the pastor summit anyway. So we just went a little bit early and, and saw a few things. But the main thing was attending this pastor summit. Now, I didn't know what to expect. I'd heard about that, thought about almost went to the one last summer in San Diego, but there were a number of reasons I didn't go for that one. And this one came up and it was accessible. It wasn't too far away. And really it's quite remarkable. The The people that support Turning Point Faith support it quite generously. And so they provided for us our hotel accommodations and, and many meals while we were there. So it was not expensive to attend. That was really a remarkable blessing. But the highlight was the, the conference content itself. And we heard from a lot of people, some pastors, some people I'd never heard of before, a few people that I had heard speak before and had met, not too many. For example, Eric Metaxas was there, and I'd heard him speak some weeks ago and met him and heard him speak again at this conference. Uh, we heard former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, who was Chief of Staff in the Trump White House for a period of time, and and to hear him make his comments and his observations and his admonitions as a Christian who had worked in really challenging environments in the political world of Washington, D.C., was very encouraging because when you get around some of these things, you find out that there are some really good people, faithful followers of Christ, who serve in these really challenging times. And we need to get acquainted with them, support them, pray for them, recognize that there is a voice for good in places we never realized there was. And so that that was part of it. There were some other speakers. Really, most of them I didn't know by name beforehand. They weren't like super national superstars of some kind, but they were thoughtful, committed people, 
who really helped us understand the challenges of our times and really helped us focus on the things that we as the people of God need to stand for in these times. For example, one of the people that was there, and, and I'd heard this story a little bit, and you probably have too, but it's really different when you hear it in person from the people involved. But you probably are familiar with the story of Riley Gaines and all of the controversy and nonsense that went on over a transgender person competing in female swimming. And by virtue of this person, this man's physical attributes as a man, won the titles that these other girls had been working years to, to battle for and to, to strive for. And to hear her tell the story of, of how that was forced upon them in so many ways and hu- both humiliating and uh, I, I, it's hard to describe ways. I mean, they were so, so badly treated. I mean, I didn't know this, but part of this goes back to the COVID days when the university where Riley Gaines was attending, the University of Kentucky, closed down and sent the students home. Well, she needed to continue training, but all of the public swimming pools, even in her hometown, were closed. And she lives in the Nashville area. So she in the middle of winter, began swimming in a lake, wearing a wetsuit to keep her strength up. Every day she would swim. Now, I'm not unfamiliar with cold weather. I'm not against cold weather. Sometimes I say I like cold weather. But can you imagine every day getting in a cold pond and swimming miles and miles and miles because you have a dream of winning a championship? only to get back to the university and begin competing for that championship and find out that a man pretending to be a woman is taking over that sport and they are forcing you to accept it. So you get some of the idea that when you hear these stories and you just can't wrap your mind around some of these kind of things and the outrage that goes on with this. But anyway, the pastor summit was very challenging, very informative opened my eyes to some things I didn't know, reinforced many of the things I did know, and helped me realize that in a more profound level maybe than I had before, I've always thought this, that it's the people of God, it's the church, and in many ways it's the pastors that are going to need to step up for these times and get our country back to where we need to be and keep on on the path of truth. I mean, we're abandoning truth of all things. So that's what made me think of this idea that Francis Schaeffer had raised. How do we live through times like these? How do we navigate such challenging times? I mean, some people would say, well, I just don't want to have to face it. Well, we can't run away from it. We, we can't. It's here. It's right in front of us. Where are we going to go? And we must not deny that it's real. I mean, the challenges are real. They affect our, our sons and daughters, our grandchildren. They affect our neighbors and our friends. We, we can't deny that. And I know a lot of people say, well, I just wish I lived in easier times. I wish I could go back 20 years ago or 30 years ago. The world, the country was in a better place. Well, I understand all of that. I lived through that, same as many of you have. And so we can't really run from this. We can't deny what's going on. Perhaps what we need to do is stop and realize that we aren't here by accident. Now, I don't know that I ever expected to have to face these kinds of things. I don't know that I ever aspired 
to have to speak out about things that are obvious. I don't know that I ever thought that it would be significant that I would need to be involved in in these kinds of conversations and push back against transgender ideology and all kinds of other things that deny reality. But here you and I are, we are here. And apparently, and I have no idea why he would do this. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Apparently, God thinks we're the right people for this time. So rather than shrink from this, we should stretch in God's direction. And isn't that what we all want to do? Don't we want to stretch toward what God is calling us to? Don't we want to stretch toward God's high calling? And if these are the times that we have to face, don't we want to step up and face them? Well, I hope you answer yes. It's a little bit of a daunting challenge, I admit that. It's not going to be easy. We might make some mistakes as we do that. Nobody expects us to be perfect, but we do need to be faithful. We do need to be faithful. And I've noticed among too many Christian leaders, pastors and others, they seem far more interested in keeping the peace and hoping these controversies will go away, sometimes just denying this. Well, we need to focus on this. We can't, we can't worry about that. Well, keeping the peace has long passed. People are invading what we know to be the truth and they are not going away. And for us to take a position that we would rather keep the peace than keep the faith is simply not acceptable. And I want us to challenge each other. I want us to challenge each other in the most forthright way that we will be people who will keep the faith, who will be, remain faithful, who will demonstrate and call ourselves to absolute confidence in God himself absolute confidence that he's faithful, that we can trust him, absolute confidence that come what may, we're going to trust him, and we're going to be the people he needs us to be for such a time as this. My concern is, and I'll probably say this more than once, not just today, but other times, my concern is, is the church really tough enough to stand up to this challenge? Because so many times I hear people say, I hear, hear it here at my church, Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. I hear it expressed by people, good-hearted people. Well, you know, we've just kind of got to be nice. Now, they don't say it in those words, but that's the sentiment that they express. Well, we can speak up, but at some point we just have to cooperate with things that we're concerned about. Well, uh, I beg to differ. It's, it's awkward. It is uncomfortable. It is out of character for some of us to have to speak forthrightly about things. But doesn't the Bible call us to be people of strength, of character, to be people of conviction, to be people that say, if the whole world goes down this path, I'm not going to because I am stretching toward God's high calling. I'm not intentionally offensive. I'm not trying to be difficult. But I, as a person, am going to stand for something. And it doesn't matter what comes against that conviction. I'm going to stand for it. Isn't that the kind of people we need to be? Is that the kind of person you will be? See, I think that's the question. It's not about, will someone do anything about this? The real question comes down to, will I do anything about this? Will I stand up when standing up is necessary? Will I speak out when speaking out is necessary? And we have to encourage each other and support each other and do just 
that. We don't have to be offensive. We can be winsome. We can be polite. But we have to be firm. We have to be resolute. We have to know what we know. We have to know what we believe. We have to know, as as the old gospel song said, I know whom I have believed. Well, we have to know who we believed, what we believed, what we believe in, what we stand for, what is worth standing up for. So I want us to think about that this week, and that's pretty long preliminary, but I hope you get the idea that I'm really concerned about these things, and I want to help us know how to navigate these challenging times. And so what I often do, I don't know if I do it always, I hope I do it always, but I can't say that I always do this, but often I, I step back and say, okay, we have this kind of challenge or this problem, what are we going to do about it? And I think about, well, what Bible story would help us understand it? Were, were there people in the Bible who lived through difficult situations or circumstances, and does their example help us today know how we can live through our challenging circumstances. I don't pretend that ours are as difficult as theirs. Many of theirs were much more difficult. And the example I want us to look at today, those those guys faced far more difficulties than we are facing right now. And may God deliver us from evil so that we don't face the challenges that they faced. But can we learn from their example? Can we learn from, from what they endured Can we learn from how they stood up for that which was right so that we can stand up for that which is right? So right away when I started thinking about that, I remembered the book of Daniel. For a long time, I have been very impressed by the book of Daniel. I I studied it quite a bit some years ago, and I have continually thought back from time to time about the stories of the book of Daniel. And I know the most famous story of the book of Daniel is Daniel in in the lion's den. And I guess we could make a a comparison and say we feel like these days we're in the lion's den a lot of times. And, And well, yeah, but Daniel was in a literal den full of lions that could have killed him, torn him limb from limb. Well, we don't live in that quite challenging circumstance. But we do live in challenging times, and we have to learn how to navigate them, and we have to decide, are we going to be resolute people like Daniel? So the story starts, and I want to focus on the start of the story of Daniel in Daniel chapter 1. Now, there are several stories that go through chapter 6. The rest of the book of Daniel, chapter 7 and following, are much more difficult for us to, to deal with. And if you get to those chapters, you might go, what in the world is going on? Well, I understand that. That's apocalyptic literature. Focus on Daniel's chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and you'll find help for how to live in these times. Well, chap- chapter 1 is where we want to start. And I just want us to think about a few things that we, that we observe in the beginning of the story, because the beginning of the story sets the stage, sets Daniel and his companions up for success. And so we need to look at those, those things that took place and how they might help us know how to go from here. So Daniel chapter 1, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, Update Edition, verse 1. In the year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave King Jehoiakim of Judah into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought to the land of Shinar, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his gods. Now, that's a 
very kind of bland introduction. This just says what it says, and, and we miss some important things here. Well, what led up to this was the unfaithfulness of God's people. They had, they had rebelled against God. They had worshipped idols. God had warned them repeatedly, and now God was finished with warnings, and he sent Nebuchadnezzar, a foreign king, a king who worshipped idols, a pagan king, to Jerusalem. And the text says very plainly that God gave Jerusalem, God gave the king, the king of Judah, Jehoiakim, to Nebuchadnezzar, into Nebuchadnezzar's power. Now, it's important to understand what's going on here. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't, didn't come and wasn't more powerful than God's people. He wasn't more powerful, and so the might of his army overwhelmed Jerusalem. That isn't what the book of Daniel tells us. The book of Daniel says God gave Jerusalem. God gave the king and his people to Nebuchadnezzar. A heart-wrenching reality. But here's the important part. God was still in charge of things. And God gave his people deliberately to Nebuchadnezzar. God never, never said that Nebuchadnezzar was more powerful than he and his people together. Never is that said. It was only said, and Daniel was clear about this, that God gave his people to Nebuchadnezzar. You see, we are God's people. And the only way that God's people lose is when they abandon God. God is stronger than all of the enemies that come against us these days. He is more powerful than all of them put together. Our only risk is when we abandon faithfulness to God. And don't miss that. Our only risk, that's, that's really important, is when we abandon faithfulness to God. And, and God's people did, and that's why God gave them to Nebuchadnezzar. Also, there's a little clue in that first little introductory statement of, of the mindset of the people of those days. In those days, it was common expectation that if one nation defeated another, it was because that conquering nation's gods were stronger than the nation they defeated. So they were only able to win the battle because their gods were stronger and overwhelmed the gods of the conquered people, and so that's, they became subjects of the stronger god. And Nebuchadnezzar, it says he went into the, to the temple. Did you, did you pick up on that? He took some of the temple vessels from the house of God, and they placed them in the treasury of his gods. And so they, they would often do that in those days. They would take the gods from the temple back to their home temple and put them there as subjects of their stronger, supposedly stronger, mightier god. Well, it's very important to understand the mindset and very important to understand that that is not what happened. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar took the sacred temple vessels from the temple in Jerusalem, but it wasn't because he and his God were stronger. It was because God gave his people reluctantly, sadly, with a broken heart because they had abandoned him. God will not abandon us as long as we stay faithful. And that's an important lesson for us to understand. God is always stronger, and he will show himself stronger if we remain faithful. question is, will we? Do we have the courage, the strength to stand? Do we have the toughness as a people to stand? And some people think, well, toughness, I thought we were supposed to be kind-hearted. You can be tough and kind-hearted. 
You know that. I know that. And if you don't know that, it's time for us all to help each other learn that. We need to learn how to be tough when it needs. When we need to be tough, we need to learn how to be tender when we need to be tender. No reason we can't be both. Let's continue with Daniel, chapter 1, verse 3. Then the king commanded his palace master, Ashpenaz, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility, young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. All right, we're going to stop in the middle of that paragraph with verse 4 and make sure we all understand what we're talking about here. So, what happens when a foreign king takes over a kingdom is that he benefits from the spoils of the battle. And part of the treasure, so to speak, that they take are the human capital, the people. And so Nebuchadnezzar identified the brightest and the best of Israel, the nobility, those who served in the royal court in Israel, and he commanded that they be taken to the royal court in Babylon. Follow me so far? So part of what they expected to benefit from were the capabilities of these people, and they took them to the royal court in Babylon. Horrible thing, but Israel was sent by God into exile because they needed correction, and part of that was these young men, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace, They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So they were uprooted from their home, taken to a foreign place, and then expected to learn how to serve that foreign king. And the way they were taught to do that was they were to learn the literature and the language of that new royal court. Well, okay, language. We understand they had to learn the language so that they could communicate there. That makes sense, and we're not surprised at that. But there's also this mention of the literature. So it's as though they were forced, and I believe it said three years here, that they were to learn what was going on. So a three-year course of study in the ways of the Babylonians, which included a lot of things, including their religious perspective. So they had to learn the pagan way of the gods, so to speak. Now they knew, those Hebrew men knew that there was one God, Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. They knew he was God. They were not naive about that. And they knew it was a horrible thing to have to learn the literature and language of this new nation because they knew it was not the truth and they knew it was not the God they intended to serve. But they were forced into this course of study, three years. Now imagine, you're in this environment, you are forced to do this, you have no choice. You have to learn all of the superstitions, all of the way they thought about gods. One of the things that they had to learn about was the way the people of Babylon interpreted dreams and visions, because that was a very big deal to them. They were very big into that, and that plays in the rest of the stories of the book of Daniel. But all of this would have been totally foreign to them, and and many of it quite offensive to them, because they served the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew that God was the maker of heaven and earth, but they were forced to confront these ideologies. 
similarly today, we are forced to confront ideologies that we know are simply offensive both to us and to God. We know they are not the truth. We know they are wrong. So in many ways, we face the same battle of ideology as Daniel and his friends. We can't escape. It's right there in front of us. They won't let us escape. And yet we have to figure out how we're going to navigate that. How are we going to learn what's going on in our world and how are we going to remain faithful at the same time to what God expects of us? Now, our task is not as challenging as theirs. They were forced to learn that under extreme penalty, even the penalty of death, as we know from other stories in the book and as we'll understand a little bit as we get further into this. So they faced far more difficult challenges than we do. And yet they managed to get through. How did they manage to navigate that? What did they know that we can learn from? What did they know that helped them stand up for what they knew was the truth? How did they remain faithful to their God, the one God, maker of heaven and earth, in the face of such coercive pressure to learn the literature and language of the Babylonian royal court? How do you do such a thing? You can't just say, no, I'm not going to take that class. No, they required that. You can't just say, no, I don't want to think about that and go into denial. That would have met severe consequences. Remember, they were expected to learn all of this so they could serve the king of Babylon, a pagan king, the king that had taken over their sacred temple and their city. And yet they navigated. How did they do that? What did they do that made the difference? Well, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to identify that, and we're going to ask ourselves, can we be that same kind of people? We're going to get to that in just a minute. So take a little break. Think this through a little bit challenge yourself and come back on the other side of the break because we're going to discover the key to Daniel and his friends success in the royal court of Babylon. We'll be right back. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Did you know that doctors and nurses have been swabbing their noses with povidone iodine to protect from airborne threats like colds, flus, and pandemic-era strains for decades? Cofix RX took that idea and made a more complete nasal formula with lasting cleansing effects. Maybe you're traveling soon or going to an event. Are you concerned somebody nearby might be sick? Maybe the office or classroom stresses you out. Get yourself a bottle of Cofix RX nasal solution. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at cofixrx.com. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. 
Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. AmericaOutloud.com If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought, working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio, liberty and justice for all. Pastor Rick Stevens, so glad you're continuing with us today. We've been talking about Daniel and his experience in the royal court of Babylon, the horror of being defeated by a pagan king and watching the temple of God be destroyed, looted, the treasures taken to a distant country, and he and his friends taken and expected to learn the literature and the language of the Babylonians so they could serve a pagan king in that royal court. And how did they manage that? Well, I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and we're continuing that conversation now. And I promised that we would talk about what it took for Daniel and his friends to stand up in such times as these. They were under enormous coercive pressure, pressure that could have resulted in the loss of their lives if they did not navigate well, pressure that we do not face. We might face some kinds of pressures, but it's not like somebody's going to come for us with a sword. How did they manage that? Well, they were, they were expected to be taught over a period of time, three years, and to be educated according to what the king wanted them to be educated. And so we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, The king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years, so that at the end of that time they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave them other names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Zazariah he called Abednego. So even their names were changed, except, except Daniel remained Daniel throughout the rest of the story, and, and some of the other names were used differently, but they were given different names, and even in the giving of those different names, it implied that they were to be faithful to a pagan god, a god that was not the one God, the one true God that they served as God's faithful people. So here they were, 
expected to serve in the royal court, expected to learn all of this for three years. They were even given a diet from the king's rations, so they were well fed according to the Babylonian idea. And now they have to figure out how to navigate getting through all of this. Verse 8 tells us the key to what happened. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. So he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion from the palace master. The palace master said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king. He has appointed your food and your drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men of your age, you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. So the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. Well, how about that? Isn't that interesting? What was the key to Daniel and his friends being able to navigate the challenge of the royal court? Now, some people will say, well, they had a better diet. No, that's not the key. That's not the key, really. It's part of it. It had a part to play in that. But what was the key to their ability to navigate in the royal court? Three words. But Daniel resolved. Daniel resolved he would not defile himself with the royal rations. Now, we don't know, as far as I've ever been able to see, we don't know what it was about the royal rations that Daniel believed was defiling. We're not sure about that. But for some reason, as a faithful follower of Yahweh, the one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he recognized that eating that diet that the king had prescribed would defile himself. So Daniel resolved not to defile himself. And of course, his other friends did as well. Usually we focus on Daniel because after all, the book of Daniel is named Daniel. Here is the key to how we will navigate or fail to navigate times like this. Daniel resolved. Will you, will we, will all of us together and individually resolve that we will not defile ourselves with the things that go on in the world around us? Now, I don't know what particular stand you might want to take or need to take at a moment, I think I know some of them, and we'll talk about a few of those things, and as we go along, if we have time today, we'll, we'll see about that. But will we resolve to be faithful to God no matter what? You see, this is the key. The reason Israel, the reason these men were in the pagan court 
in Babylon was because God's people had turned away from God. They had followed idols, and God finally said enough. And he sent Nebuchadnezzar, and he gave his people into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, and they suffered the humility of defeat and exile. And Daniel and his friends were now expected to serve a pagan king and pagan gods. How did they navigate? They resolved that they would not defile themselves. What is it that you will resolve that you will not let defile yourself? It might be an ideology. It might be the use of or refusing to use pronouns in certain settings. It might be that you will resolve that you won't defile yourself by refusing to speak up when speaking up is necessary. It might be, and I think we're all aware of the target controversy, it might be that you will resolve that you won't defile yourself by shopping at Target ever again. Now, you might say to me, well, but, but, but how does that defile me? It's just where I go to buy groceries or whatever you might buy there. I understand that. It's just a store. I understand that. But when does your conviction become more than just a... When do you say, I'm going to resolve that I will not defile myself, and I won't do that? Now, I've made that decision. I'm, I'm finished shopping at Target. I live in an area here in Cape Coral, Florida, where when we first moved here more than 25 years ago, there weren't a lot of shopping options. We were kind of out in no man's land in a certain respect. Well, there's lots of people out here now. But we had to drive quite a distance for groceries and for other things, or quite a distance is the way we thought of it. Now, some people who live in rural country counties, they would say, oh, you didn't drive far at all. I get that. Okay. But since we live in the third largest city in Florida by geography, it felt like a long way we'd have to drive for something. So it was kind of nice when some of these retail businesses opened not very far from our house, and it made it convenient to pick up some things. It made it easy to do that. Well, I'm not a big shopper at Target, so they're not going to suffer a lot from the few things that I would buy. But even at that, I'm not going to go there. I have enjoyed the services of one of their uh, ophthalmologists, that, or I guess you should say optometrists, that has examined my eyes and helped with my glasses, and, and, and I've enjoyed thought he gave me great service. I appreciated that, and the optical department did the same. But I'm going to have to find another way to accomplish that goal because I cannot defile myself by going back to Target. Now, some of you might say, well, that's, that's not me. You know, you have to decide what it is that you have a conviction about and where it is you will stand. It's not up to me to decide that for you. I don't pretend that, that, and yes, I understand, well, a lot of the places are just as bad. Well, that can be true. I'm not quite sure they're just as bad as the outrageous decision that Target made to target our children with these outrageous, uh, what would you say, costumes, uh, outrageous clothing to engage a designer that's a Satanist. Uh, I don't know whether any of it's quite that bad, but I understand the difficulty, and I understand and, I, and I'm not taking names or anything like that. I understand that we have to make decisions, and so many of the companies are so bad in so many ways, we can't find a company that's 
completely upright in everything. I, I understand that. My question isn't about that. My question is, what will you resolve to do to take a stand for truth and righteousness? Daniel resolved, and it was over diet, and we don't understand, as far as I've ever been able to tell, we don't understand why diet mattered so much. Now, yeah, we understand that, that God's people had some dietary expectations. That, yes, we know that. But we really don't know what it was about the diet that caused Daniel to say, this is as far as I'll go, I will go no further. They already had to learn the literature and language of the Babylonian royal court. But at some point, Daniel decided that this food, this diet, was not going to be acceptable. And he was drawing the line right there. My question for us is, where will we draw the line? Now, if your line isn't target, okay, I'm not going to beat you up over that. But I want to know what your conviction is. Where will you take a stand? What will you stand up for? What will you resolve? That's what matters. There are many places you can take a stand. I want to know where you will stand and if you will stand. Are you tough enough to take a stand? Now, in Daniel's case, it was a huge risk. They could have easily killed him. In fact, the the guy he asked for help knew he was risking his life. You heard the story. You heard me read it. So this was not something to be done lightly. But Daniel resolved, and he was not backing down. Well, they did change the diet, and they did turn out better, and that was all good. So it ended good because he had resolved for that. But but here's what the 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 real the real depth of what went on there it wasn't so much about the the diet, wasn't so much about the food. But that as a result of that, when you read there, Daniel resolved in verse 8, and then you go down to verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. See, God rewarded them, rewarded their faithfulness by helping them with the coursework that they had to to learn. He helped them navigate their way through that, and he gave them, as it says here, knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom, and also insight into visions and dreams. And of course, the visions and dreams will have huge importance in the stories that unfold after chapter one. We won't get that far today. But the key for us to notice is that facing this absolute coercive pressure, Daniel resolved, this is as far as I can go, no farther. And God honored that faithfulness. Our challenge is, where will we draw the line? Where will we stand up? Where will we refuse to go further? And then we can have confidence that God will be with us. Because God is with his faithful people. It doesn't mean we will survive every situation. The Bible is never promising that we will survive every situation. Now, the stories of Daniel are remarkable how they survived. Remarkable. And I'm not going to tell you because God's people have experienced terrible consequences because they were faithful. Martyrs have been killed repeatedly over history. I don't think that we face martyrdom at this point, but we might face other kinds of 
social abuse, rejection, if you will. But the question is, where will we stand and when will we stand and what will what will be enough for you to resolve? No, this is my faithfulness to God. I can go no further. What is the issue? What is the challenge that you will accept and say no more? How will you demonstrate your commitment? That's what Daniel and his friends did. They demonstrate their commitment. They resolved. We are going to be faithful to God. And that's that. And God came along and rewarded them and helped them navigate through the learning that they needed to learn and gave them special ability to do that and especially help Daniel with visions and dreams. And it goes on and finishes out the chapter. I guess we should go ahead and read that to kind of tie the thing all together. Verse 18, at the end of the time that the king had set for them to be brought in, the palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. Among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were stationed in the king's court in every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now imagine that. Here they were, these men who resolved to be faithful, who said this far and no farther, turned out to be ten times better. And they served the king in the royal court. And imagine now they had the opportunity as God's faithful young men to bring God's wisdom to bear on the royal court of Babylon, this pagan king far from God who worshipped other gods. And now they had that opportunity. Now, will God give us those kinds of opportunities? I don't know. But the principle is the same, that when we are faithful, God honors our faithfulness, and we have to decide whether we're going to resolve to be faithful. Now, the other interesting thing that, that, that I want to mention in relation to this story is that navigating Babylon never ends. Okay, so this is a kind of a single story in chapter 1, as are some of the other stories as we go along, but this gives the story of how Daniel and his friends were established in the royal court of Babylon. And it turns out well. But we find out that navigating Babylon never ends. And, and they faced another challenge in the next chapter, and another challenge in the next chapter, and all the way through to chapter 6 with the lion's den. You know, sometimes we, we make a point, we stand for something, and then we're ready to move on, ready to go to something else. Or we get kind of tired and worn down and say, enough already, I've, I've had it with this. And we... Well, we don't exactly stop, but we don't exactly stay resolved. And, and I'm here to, to warn us all that this is not something that we can make our point and then move on and ignore. This is going to continue and continue and continue. I don't really think it's that different than what God's people have faced down through history. It's just much more intense for us right now and much more important that we remain faithful. We are being tried, and we have to turn out to be God's faithful people. So what is it that you will resolve to stand for? Where will you draw the line? You know, for a long time in my life, I've watched the church, the people of God, when they come up to a line and then they kind of move the line because, well, there are other things that are more important. At some point, 
there is nothing more important than what God asks you to stand for faithfully. At some point, and it may not be diet, that's what it was for Daniel. It's, to me, it's the most curious thing. Why was that the issue? I don't know. But they decided to stand. And you might come up to something and say, well, this doesn't seem like such a pressing concern. But you will have some conviction. You will hear someone say, your friends might say, or you might be talking to your friends at church, and you might decide, we have to stand here. And, and you might think it's the oddest reason to stand, and I don't know what that might be. But the real question is, will there come a time, will there come a point that you will say, enough already, I'm going to resolve to stand here. And I'm going to stand for what God says is truth, what God says is right, and I'm not going to be persuaded otherwise. That's the question that we all face. And I hope you'll answer that when it comes time. You see, in all of this, Daniel stood for that which he knew was true and right. And I've said for a while now, and maybe not often enough, but I've thought it more than I've said it. And sometimes I don't say what I think, but sometimes I need to say more what I think. So here I go again, that the truth is God's gift to the world around us. The truth is the church's gift to the world around us. We need to tell the truth about things because people are telling lies of all kinds. I mean, who would have ever imagined that we would tell ourselves the lie that a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man? I mean, it's just preposterous. And we need to tell the truth about everything. We need to stand up for that. And then we need to live that out. There's a book I read several years ago called Live Not By Lies. You see, it's one thing to declare the truth. It's another thing to make sure you live the truth. And that's what Daniel did. He resolved to stand up and to live out the truth. And we have to decide whether we're going to be that kind of people or not. And sometimes it will cause us to be targets of the most outrageous stuff. So you may have heard, and I don't, I don't know how you even wrap your head around this. Really, I just don't. But for a while, many of us have decided that it's important for parents to have the opportunity to raise and shape their children that God has given them according to their conscience. And so we've stood up for and advocated for parents' rights in many different ways. A lot through the school system here in Florida, I've been a part of that, advocating for parental rights, encouraging legal changes, that the legislature would pass laws to support parental rights. Well, and guess what happened this week? Along comes the Southern Poverty Law Center, and they declare that groups that support parental rights are actually hate groups. You see, you just can't make this stuff. You can't predict this. Who would have ever imagined that standing up for the rights of parents to care for their children, to find the best education for their children, to do everything for their children's well-being, who would have ever imagined that these people and the groups that support them would be called hate groups? You see, when you make a decision of where you'll stand, you never know what will happen. But you have to always be aware that when we stand for what God says is right, when we stand for his truth and righteousness, then we stand on solid ground and we cannot be moved and we will not be moved. So I, 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 just, I just hardly know how to even talk about the outrageous statement that people who advocate for parental rights are hate groups. I just don't, I don't how, do you, how do you come to grips with that? But I'll tell you what, that's a place we can stand and say, listen, the Bible tells us that children are a gift from God, 
And these parents are entrusted with the responsibility for that gift, and we're going to stand up for them and their right to raise and shape their children and their responsibility to do it before God. You call us a hate group if you want, but how do you call parents and the people that support them who love their children and love those kids enough to stand up for them? How do you call that a hate? I'm a little concerned, but maybe you and I together can encourage each other to stay strong, to be bold, and to remember that God is with us and we can be faithful to Him wherever we go, whatever we encounter, God is with us. So go with God, be faithful, take a stand, be resolved, and we'll come back together next week and challenge each other some more. May God bless you and your family.